The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the highs and winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Randy Cross, UCLA Bruins, College Football Hall of Fame Class of 2010, San Francisco 49ers, three-time Super Bowl champion, three first-team and one second-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowl player, CBSSN Inside College Football Game Analyst, host of the weekly Randy Cross podcast at randycross.com. That's R-A-N-D-Y-C-R-O-S-S.com. You can follow him on Twitter at randycrossfb. That's at R-A-N-D-Y-C-R-O-S-S-F-B. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast. I've been a fan of yours for years since your days at UCLA. At UCLA, Randy Cross was an All-American, and he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame as a senior in 1976. You helped lead the Bruins to a 1976 Rose Bowl win over the Ohio State Buckeyes. In the NFL, Randy Cross was selected in the second round of the NFL draft by the San Francisco 49ers. His 13-year career, Randy Cross helped lead the 49ers to three Super Bowl victories. Now, from 1989 to 1993, you were a member of the CBS sports team that covered the NFC playoffs and Super Bowl 26. You also served as an analyst for CBS radio sports coverage for Super Bowl 24. And then you joined NBC Sports as an analyst for NFL and Notre Dame football games. In 1998, you returned to CBS sports as a game day analyst and then in 1999 as a studio analyst for the NFL Today. You co-host shows on Sirius NFL Radio. What a legacy. Your legacy you left behind in both college and the NFL is beyond compare. Please welcome to my podcast, Randy Cross. How are you today, sir? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny day. Beautiful. Well, if it's okay with you, let's start with your time at UCLA. If you would tell me about your playing time at UCLA and, and what it was like to play for Coach Dick Vermeil. Um, Dick was amazing. He was uh, highly motivated, uh, very meticulous, you know, big on attention to detail, as, as, as all coaches seem to be. But um, we had him. He was my junior and senior year. My freshman and sophomore year was Pepper Rogers, um, who initially recruited me to UCLA. Um, the common theme between all those four years was Terry Donahue, who, when Dick left, became the head coach for 20 plus years at UCLA. But, you know, it was it was a special time. It's, it's always been a great, a great place. It's one of the most amazing campuses in the country. 
location wise and everything else. And I was, uh, I was a little bit of a gimme uh, for UCLA in that I, I was raised a, a big UCLA fan and whoever was playing SC. Well, talk to me about the 1976 Rose Bowl win over Woody Hayes and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Well, it was, it was very much like the culmination of my college football career uh, in a lot of ways. My freshman year, we had a really good team. Uh, I think we were like nine and two. My, my, my sophomore year, also pretty good. Junior year, not so much. Um, senior year, we play Ohio State earlier in the year and just get the break speed off us in the, in the, in the Coliseum in L.A., they beat us, I don't know, like 42-20, 42-21, something like that. Um, they were good. I mean, Archie Griffin, back-to-back Heisman trophies. Cornelius Griffin was the quarterback. Brian uh, Bashnagel was a slot receiver. They had All-American linemen. They had All-American defensive guys. They had Woody Hayes. Um, and when we saw him again later, we won the Pack 8 back then. Uh, because we beat Cal head to head, we finished tied with with Cal. Uh, but we won the we won the conference because of that. That's why we went and played played uh, played Ohio State, and we were a a pretty significant underdog. I mean, like twenty point underdog <laughs> to Ohio State. I think everyone pretty much expected us to uh, suffer the same fate we had suffered the first time we played them. Uh, Dick had prepared us extremely well. That whole staff just did an amazing job. Uh, we had them game plan just about perfectly. And, you know, some of our better players had their best games, which is, you know, one of the obvious, overstated, but most important things <laughs> to have happen. Because John Shara, Wally Henry, Wendell Tyler, Cliff Frazier, go down the list, the guys that were on that team that were really good. Um, they played really well against Ohio State. And, you know, beating them was – it was just amazing because as a UCLA, as a Pac-8 then, but a West Coast kid, um, I dreamed about playing in the Rose Bowl. I mean, UCLA plays their every home, home game now. But when I was in college, the only way to get to play in the Rose Bowl was actually be in the game. So hmm. – that was uh, that was a real highlight. There was a, it was a then stadium record crowd of about one hundred and seven thousand, and it was uh, you know it was nineteen seventy six New Year's Day seventy six. It was the bicentennial. Kate Smith, the the old school singer, was singing you know the national anthem and God Bless America and everything else. And there were jets flying over, and yeah, there were still jets, man. Um, but it was it was. It was very memorable. I love the detail in the answer. I, I was a, a junior in high school. I just remember watching the game on TV. What a performance by you guys. What was it like to transition into the NFL? Um, yeah, it was kind of shocking, honestly. And I, I think it's, it's still the case. Uh, no matter how good you are in college or how good you think you are in college, uh, the actual um, profession of doing it for a living against adults where, you know, any way you look at it, whether the person's on your team competing against you or across the, across the field on that particular day, you're basically trying to take money off each other's 
table. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah, it, yeah, and getting that through your head, it takes a while. I, I had no intention of playing pro football. Really? Um, and, until about my junior year, I was told um, by a scout, very famous guy, uh, Gil Brandt with the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. He told me I was going to go in the first or second round. And I looked at him like, no, really? And he goes, this is the first time you've heard that? I said, well, my coach is telling me stuff like that all the time. But outside of here, yeah. Oh. Um, and I, I thought it was cool. I'd never thought of that football was going to be this stupendous way to make a, a, a long career. Little did I know I'd, I'd start playing football in 68 as a freshman at Crespi High School. Hmm. And, you know, my, my affiliation with football is still going through TV. So it's obviously been a pretty important part of my life. But, yeah, you know, it, it, getting into the NFL, there was so much more to it than there was in college. Nowadays, and it really started around the time my son Brendan um, was in high school. So it would have started sometime around 05 or so. You had everybody at every level. And I'm talking about kindergarten up these kids are trained they go to they go to workout places they've got they've got tutors they've got quarterback tutors and offensive line tutors and they've got weightlifting coaches and they've got all this stuff i mean hell my son i think in about the 10th 11th grade was stronger than i was at any point in my high school and college career i mean not even close because he was he started lifting weights at like 10 11 years old but yeah, it's it, it's crazy the way it is now, but it wasn't like that then. So I played center for two and a half years, uh, broke my ankle in a game in Washington, D.C. in the middle of 78. And then Bill Walsh came in and he moved me to guard. So, you know, I, I spent of a 13 year career. I spent nine and a half years at uh, at guard and basically two and a half years. <laughs> at center and uh or three and a half years at center but i made a middle light commercial after i retired so everybody kind of remembers <laughs> me i always get i always get introduced as a center i'm like yeah yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> and what a phenomenal answer man what a career you had sir I-, I gotta ask what was it like to play in that west coast offense what was it like to have joe montana in the huddle well, you combine the offense in general, the, the man who invented it, Bill Walsh, and really refined it and refined a lot of things about football um, and combined with that talent of, of Joe Montana, who's, you know, just celebrated his 66th birthday. Um, it was the perfect match. It was, it was fun to watch. I, you know, I was in college. I, I ran – two years of the wishbone offense mm. and two years of the Houston veer. So I wasn't big in subterfuge. I wasn't big in, uh, you know, we just came off the ball harder, faster, more aggressive, and just tried to beat people down. NFL is not quite that easy to do that. So getting with Walsh and starting to operate in that offense, it was more of, okay, 
You know, if we need three or four yards, we'll throw the ball. We'll let the running back get it out of the backfield. We, we did a lot of different things that got labeled finesse football, um, which is kind of curious because I think now everybody in the, in the game does it. Just back then, it was so unusual when we did what Bill wanted to do. And right. uh, the, finesse, the finesse label really kind of stuck. Part of that was because I don't know how, how much anybody really fought back against it. And the other thing was the NFC, NFC East at that point, which was basically the Giants, the Eagles, and the Redskins, uh, along with the Arizona Cardinals, I mean the Cowboys. Um, it was Smash Mouth Football. That was the name, Smash Mouth Football. You know, that's what the Giants did. That's what the, that's what the Cardinals did. That's what the Eagles did. That's what the Redskins did. Um, and our media is run in the East. It's run in the East Coast. You know, the West Coast football from high school to college and all that is almost like the witness protection program. Huh. Because, you know, unless you're extremely, extremely good, um, most fans don't have a chance to see you, you play that often. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the things I think college football on the West Coast is, you know, has to wake up to is the fact that, you know, they love to play the night games. I don't blame them. Everybody likes to play at night. It, it just, you, you've been brought up in the NFL and the college atmosphere. Night games are huge. Well, they're huge, but if you're in Stanford, or you're at UCLA, or you're at Oregon, or you're at SC, and you're playing a 7 o'clock game, that's 10 o'clock Eastern. By the time you get to halftime, you know, you've got maybe a, <laughs> a third of the audience if you're playing well. Right. It's still watching. They're asleep. Um, so, you know, that's something I think that the West Coast has to allow for here as we change and everything is changing like crazy in college football. Um, but that's one of the changes I think you're going to see is you're going to start seeing West Coast games get in front of people at different times. Doesn't necessarily have to be a 9 a.m. in the morning West Coast start, but it's got to start ticking up there where you get you get in front get on people's televisions get on people's computers get on people's in their faces in a lot more effective way because with nil and that name image and likeness and all the marketing and the billions and billions are going to be generated by this game it's going to be important that's that's part of the return on investment is eyeballs Man, I, I really appreciate that response. I'd love to hear it. You, you, it's right from the source with you. Fantastic. I, I, I've got to ask you, uh, uh, January 22nd, 1989, I hope I have the date right, 320 left in Super Bowl 22, 93 yards from the end zone. Tell us about that story where John, uh, Joe Montana looked up and, and said, hey, hey, look, there's John Candy. Is, was that true? And, and if it was, what was going through your mind at that moment? Well, yeah, and the best part is we were basically standing in our own end zone because I think the ball was on the eight. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing that. It's a TV timeout, and Joe's on the sideline talking to Bill, and at the end, towards the end of the TV timeout, he kind of runs back into the huddle. And Harris Barton, who was, was our right tackle at this point, 
and he was he's kind of high strung, very high strung. Uh, he was he was nervous, let's say, and he was sitting over there vibrating. And I guess Joe sensed the way there was a little bit of tension, which you can imagine in a huddle like that. It's a oh, Super Bowl. Sure. We haven't played for we haven't played particularly well for us. Uh, we're down by a field goal, so we need three to tie, seven to win. Um, and he looks over and he kind of looks around Harris and we're all looking at him like, what the hell is he looking at? <laughs> Look over at the sideline and Joe, Joe looks back at us and goes, is that Jam John Candy? Oh. And we all, turn, we all turn back around. We see John Candy standing there and go, yeah. He goes, wow, son of a gun. Isn't that cool? Oh. And just then, then he just kind of calls the play. And it, I think it gave everybody, everybody took a deep breath. And, you know, it was a, it was a pretty historic drive as it turned out. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, thank you so much. I always wanted to hear that story again, right from the source. Man, you're phenomenal. C can we turn our attention to your work as an analyst? I, I, I have to know, what, what was it like to cover the Super Bowl? Uh, it's, it's kind of the idea of why you go into that business. It's much like, you know, playing in one. If you're working in TV, you want to, you want to work on one. You want to, you know, be able to, you know, whether it's the pregame or the game or whatever part of it you can do. Um, I had some interesting associations with the Super Bowl. The year after I retired, Super Bowl 24, I got called uh, Sunday morning by Frank Murphy, who was the president of CBS Sports Radio at that time, or CBS Radio, who told me that Hank Stram had laryngitis and he wanted to know if I wanted to do the Super Bowl. Now, like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's kind of a loaded question, but yeah, you know, I've always been big as a master of the obvious, so I, I agree. Uh, and I got a chance to do it because he didn't last, you know, almost a half before they decided to, to take him off and, and put me on. So, you know, one of the highlights of just working in general was getting to work with Jack Buck. Um, but yeah, I, I was with CBS for five years. My beginning of my career, I started, I was supposed to do eight games. Um, I did 15 the first year. And then, you know, as many as I could do every year after that. But, you know, as they lost football, uh, CBS did back when Fox got into the biz. You know, if you kind of study back in the history of the, of the game broadcast wise. So at that point, I went to NBC. And we worked with them for four years. That was fantastic. Uh, when I came back to CBS, um, it was totally different. They, we had done the NFC. Now CBS had the AFC. Um, but, you know, what a, what a great setup. I got, got to work with for a year with the great Vern Lundquist, mm. um, who's, who's just a treat. Did games with him before I did the NFL today for four years. Um, then we went from the NFL today back to games and did uh, a total of uh, about 20 years of calling NFL games. And then 12, 13 years ago, I was asked if I was wanted to, if I was interested in doing college football. So I've been over there on the college side for them now for 12, 13 years. And I do all the, all the Navy home games 
work on the Army Navy game at the end of the year mm. and do a variety of other college football games during the year. But the the most fun I have broadcasting is on Tuesday nights for uh, CBS College CBS uh, Sports Network. We have a show called Inside College Football, and it's myself and Aaron Taylor who went in the Hall of Fame this year, and Brian Jones, Rick Neuheisel, the former UCLA coach, Oregon, I mean, uh, Washington coach and Colorado coach. But we have an unbelievable amount of uh, fun just chopping up really what happened, what's going to happen. And Adam Zucker is our host, so he has kind of the un unenviable job of he's got the chair trying to keep the Lions in check. What an incredible career you had as a broadcaster and an analyst. Now, now you have a podcast, a weekly podcast. It's called the Randy Cross mm -hmm. Podcast. And again, it's found at randycross.com, R-A-N-D-Y-C-R-O-S-S.com. Please, sir, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, you know, it's also on all the social media platforms, but the, the easiest place to get it is at randycross.com. Um, I, I decided I wanted to start some start doing something like this, and this was this is my sixth season of doing it, mm. and it's um, it's 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 a little bit of a personal challenge from that standpoint because we I don't just do football or I don't just do sports, I do a lot of various different things that you know, frankly, things that interest me. You know, I said, hey, you know what? I think that's interesting. Maybe somebody else would think that's interesting too. So I do a lot of things about concussion, mental health, and, um, you know, the, the, the football and sports side, obviously, and golf and military. Um, I've done some, quite a bit of work in that standpoint with the military. And I, I, I just enjoy the heck out of doing it. And it's, it's always been a, a really fun off-season thing for me. Because, you know, what the heck, it's my downtime and it's, it's a good time to, to get people to do what I do or some of the people that are in these sort of ancillary businesses that, that, that surround my, my little world, it's, it's always a good time and people have been very generous with their time. But, you know, I, the best way to describe it to people that ask me is, hey, is, is it all just about football? I said, no, it's about whatever I want it to be. It's whatever subject, you know, whether it's aliens or, you know, go, go down that checklist. Uh, you know, there's there's enough rat holes and, and uh, conspiracy theories to go around. So a lot of them are fun to talk about and a lot of them are fun to discuss with people. And I don't know. I, I, I just like it. I think it's a great venue. That's great. And I urge those listening, if you haven't already done so, please do check it out. Randy, are you game for a few fun questions about the history of college football? Sure. If you could have been doing the play-by-play -play for any one game in the history of college football, what game would you have chosen? Oh, wow. Well, besides the obvious, to me, obvious one, which would be the first one, Yes, sir. Um, but there'd be no radio and TV, but you have a megaphone, a megaphone probably. Uh -huh. 
you know, one of, those, one of those big, one of those big cones that cheerleaders used to work. You see in the pictures on the sideline. That's um, one like that. Uh, some of the old time classic games, you know, and and there were some great, you know, SC Notre Dame go down this the huge left SC UCLA, Nor- uh, Texas Oklahoma, whatever. But probably the game that 1971. Uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers and Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, Nebraska was would go on to, you know, win the national championship that year. And it was just, it, I just thought that game was something. A guy like, you know, Rich Glover and Johnny Rogers, and they just had a laundry list of big stars. And I'd been, I'd been recruited by them. Them and UCLA were the two places I was. My list came down to. And it's just that's a game that's always stuck in my brain for all these, you know, what now 50 plus years since it was played. Oh, what a great answer. Uh, my father had uh, he was in Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. He was like a man's man. But when he raised me, he had nothing to do with football. He didn't like it. But on that Thanksgiving night, he brought the old black and white TV with the rabbit ears down, put it on the Thanksgiving table and let me watch the game because he knew how important it was to me. What a great answer you gave us. Who is your favorite player in the history of college football? Um, well, it's a little bit of a, you know, off the reservation, if you will, kind of out of left field, but and, and not really an obvious college football player to a lot of people, but Jackie Robinson. Um, I remember growing up as a big UCLA fan, you know, and I, and I was born in Brooklyn and we lived in New York and then moved to LA. So I've also been a Dodger fan since I was born. Um, but I, th- I think Jackie Robinson for what he did, both college and then would go on to do in, in Major League Baseball. You know, I, I, that's one of those guys who say, who would you like to have a beer with? Well, there'd be one right there. Uh, how about we got two guys, Jackie Robinson and Kenny Washington? Mm. Those guys were on the same teams together at UCLA, and they were both, you know, trailblazers. Great answer. What is your most memorable play in the history of college football? Uh, ooh, gosh. I, I'll go, I'll be greedy. I'll take two. Um, just pick whichever one of the Florida State missed field goals you want to talk about. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I would have to say the Doug Flutie pass. Mm. The Boston College against Miami down there in the Orange Bowl. Because that was one that, yeah, I, I don't know how many people that saw that just didn't have that kind of seared in their brain, much like, you know, what, 30, 40 years later when um, Texas played SC in the the national championship game in the Rose Bowl, and it was capped off by that, you know, that clutch run for a touchdown by Young. I mean, that was, that was crazy. That was, but that's, that's the kind of play. And the only reason those plays stick out, I think, to me and other people, is we grow up wanting to be that guy. You know, you're in the park throwing the buddy with the, the, throwing the ball with the buddy and it's, you throw it as far as you can and you're going, 
and he throws it at three, <laughs> two, one, touchdown. You know, or you shoot the ball at the hoop and it goes in and yeah, you won the championship. Uh, it doesn't always work out that great, but when it does, it's something that you never forget. Oh, absolutely. Two great answers. You made my son dig very happy. He maintains that was the greatest game ever played, the Texas-USC game. Yeah. What was the greatest game in college football history? It's a good lead-in for that. Oof. That would, that would be a nominee. Yes, sir. Um, you go down that list of number one versus number two, and the ones that you know, A qualified because they were number one versus number two. And probably what, 10% of those have turned out to be real memorable games because usually they're kind of disappointing. One of them gets just boat raced. Um, that that Nebraska-Oklahoma game back in the day, uh, that Texas, that Texas-USC game, uh, there were some UCLA-SC games back around the OJ Simpson Gary Beban uh, period that were, you know, pretty, pretty memorable and pretty incredible yes, sir. from that standpoint. Um, I, I think you go just down some, some crazy lists as far as these great football teams and franchises. I, I see the one rivalry that maybe has created more incredibly memorable moments than any other that, you know, as a Southern transplant, I've come to appreciate a lot is Auburn, Alabama. Mm. There are, there are block kicks, there are tip balls, there are passes, there are kick, there are kick returns on field. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that have gone on in, in that rivalry. So, yeah, I did. I, and, and as seeing as I live in Georgia, I'd have to put on a list too. Um, that Georgia, Auburn game where they tipped the ball and ran in for a touchdown. Um, that's the essence and what makes college football specifically such a, just an unbelievable, you know, game. It's a, it's, 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 it's weaved into society. It's weaved into a family, how the family works and how a family functions. I mean, it's, it's, you, you, you're raised, I think sometimes the baseball fan, sometimes the basketball fan. I think you're born a football fan, especially in most parts of this country. What a superlative answer. I wholeheartedly agree with you. What was the greatest season in college football history? Ooh. Well, think about some of those undefeated teams. It's pretty nuts. Might have been Tommy Frazier in Nebraska. Mm. As good as that team was. I mean, they were, you look at the people they had on that team too. <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty impressive. But that's that's the 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 nice thing about college football. Uh, is every decade, when you think back, every decade probably has two or three teams that you could look at and go, man, that is one of the best teams that's ever played the game. And it's like consistent, you know, just decade after decade after decade, um, which is good that, that it breaks down that way because we usually have no, um, no ability to rationally prioritize where they would rank. 
because you, you cutting through eras. If people think eras are different in professional sports, I think in college football, especially college football, I mean, uh, college sports, especially college football, um, it's, it's crazy how eras have changed and games have changed and offenses have changed and defenses and size and everything else. So there's always – everyone will have their favorite team ever. You know, I could say 15-0 Alabama from a couple of years ago. Um, that might not tweak too many other palettes, but everybody else has got one of their teams that went 13-0 or 14-0 or 15-0 and were national champions. What is the biggest upset in college football history? Yeah, uh, apologies to all the big blue fans. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I really think that Appalachian State-Michigan game was past David and Goliath. Um, you know, and even if it happened today, it would be, it would be huge. But to for when it happened and how many eyes it opened to – you know, they, we were just getting over the FCS, FBS, and all those other qualifications, and D1, D2, D3. You know, when it came across your TV at the bottom on the day it happened, you know, half the people watching were going, App State, App State, where is that? And they beat right. Michigan at Michigan? I, I, I think that did more to kind of – even level the playing field in some people's minds. Um, and it doesn't have stuff like that rarely happens. That's why it's so memorable. But it, but it brought some degree, at least for a brief period of time, of equity to uh, the conversation. Well, I want to thank you, Randy Cross. You've been a phenomenal guest. You can follow Randy Cross on Twitter at his handle, at Randy Cross FB. That's at R-A-N-D-Y-C-R-O-S-S-F-B follow this man you have an open invitation to come back anytime sir i want to thank you for listening to history of college football i am jay abramson join us every tuesday and saturday for a new episode